everyone, welcome to Arts District. My name is Sterling Shea. Today I am joined by Danielle Giorgio of the Danielle Giorgio Dance Group. You have definitely 100% seen or read about her work in the past few months. She has such a fabulous work ethic, such an admirable resume. So I was really, really honored to talk to her about her upcoming production at Undermain Theater. So let's get started. Here is Danielle. You were on in January and so, yeah, yeah, uh, a lot has changed since then. Yes. <laughs> but can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to these days? Sure. My name's Danielle Giorgio. I am the artistic director of the Danielle Giorgio Dance Group. I'm also the associate artistic director of Undermain Theater. I'm a full time professor of dance. <laughs> and what I'm up to right now is trying to continue making art. And the next project that I have coming up is called Things Missing Mist, which is a experimental work of theater that is being expanded to include movement scores, so a lot of dance work, and it's being adapted to become a theatrical cinematic event. Nice. Maybe everything on Instagram is very rose-tinted, but it seems like you and your dance group, your presence in the community got bigger and stronger during quarantine. Would you agree with that? And how did you stay inspired during these hard times? That's really nice that you (laughs) said that. Yeah. um, We just kind of, like when the pandemic hit, we were in pre-production for a show that was supposed to open in June. And, you know, in March, none of us really understood what was happening to us. Uh, We didn't understand the severity of the situation or what the consequences would be and how our lives would be so uh, significantly impacted by COVID. And, you know, we just all kind of kept thinking and working on that show. And I knew very early on that like we weren't going to have an audience, but I was very hopeful that we could still move forward with the project in some way. And I had already started doing some digital work with both Eastfield where I teach. We were like one of the first campuses to do live streaming events at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was like, well, I'm already doing this. And with DGDG, we quickly pivoted and put our uh, company classes uh, online for free. So when we started thinking about what are we going to do with the show, which is called The Savage Seconds, we just said, let's do our research. Let's figure out how to do this safely. Let's quarantine as a company and let's make a film. Yeah. And so we did. We made a feature length (laughs) our first feature-length film ever. People liked it. And we premiered it at a drive-in movie theater. KRA picked it up and showed it on the TV on PBS, which is like (laughs) blew my mind. And now we're like submitting to film festivals. So like, that's something I never thought would happen, but Dallas was really receptive to it and sort of supported us. The film community, the theater community, the dance community, like they all just said, how are you doing it? I was like, well, 
safely. Um, yeah. Asking people to, you know, really pay attention to the world around them and wear a mask and not to leave the house so that we can be together and make art, which is like what we do. So that was the first one. And then we did it again in October. Same thing with a live stream interactive telethon. Again, something we've never done. So it's just been like a year going on a year of experimentation and just seeing what we can do. So you just closed the Bippy Boppy Boo show at Theater 3. And that was, like you said, an experimental process. How did it go? Did you, like, what did you learn throughout that process? I learned that live streaming is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot harder than I thought. I mean, because we had been live streaming our dance classes on Instagram. And I was like, well, this is not that difficult. You just set the camera up and you you do it. Yeah. It's not that (laughs) simple. So there's a lot more technology involved than, and that anyone thinks. And I have like a whole new respect for people who make television because again, I had no idea. I don't commercial and film world. I understand TV. I've never done. So yeah, it was just like learning camera angles and how many cameras you actually need to successfully do a television show or a live streaming event and how important organization and a plan really is like you understand that from a theatrical standpoint you really got to rehearse and have my directorial vision but this is this is live like really live in a whole new way where you cannot fully predict what's going to happen with the technology and we of course decided to do six brand new shows so it wasn't just one show we were repeating for six nights it was six brand new shows every night Wow. So the amount of work that goes into rehearsing six brand new shows, putting together the live takes, but also the pre-recorded takes and how you switch from one camera to the other and how you switch to pre-recorded material back to live. It's extremely stressful and not what it looks like on TV when you watch reality shows about making TV. I was sort of obsessed with this show called Unreal on Lifetime for a while. That was like... um, a fictional take on like making The Bachelorette kind of show. Okay, I gotcha. That sounds actually very interesting. It's so good. I highly recommend it <laughs> if you're looking for something else to binge. It was like yeah. a few years ago, but like so good. But I was like, wow. Oh yeah, they're showing like all these behind the scene things. And I knew it was fictional, but I was like, there's gotta be something true to that. I was like, oh, being a line producer or a producer would be like incredible. And I was like, oh no, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Because I was both a camera op, the director, the producer, and the choreographer on Bibby Bobby. So it was um, more challenging than doing <laughs> just just a play. Yeah, yeah. And then you're also working on this drive-in project called Area 3. Is that right? Is that still going on? That is still going on. That's um, through Aurora, Dallas Aurora. And it runs until January 31st. DGDG actually just performed at it on Friday, but I've had my installation work up since October 1st. There's not a lot of technology involved there. It's just you're doing a live performance and people are driving through. No, um, actually, um, so we had a live performance on Friday. It was a special live performance, but up until then, it is a lot of tech. The whole show is technology can't remember the amount of artists off the top of my head, but I think there's nine of us. 
so it's nine visual artists, some collaborating with um, a group or more artists, but my work is, so I'm also a visual artist, um, an installation and, and video artist. So my work that is in the parking garage in downtown is an extension of the type of work that I would do in a gallery. I see. Okay. That's cool. So you're juggling all these projects. You have a lot of disciplines in your craft. So can you tell us about your creative process? Is there a morning routine that you swear by? Like, how are you doing all of this? Oh, this is so funny. So like last night I was working on, um, my students are putting together their next digital dance concert because that's our world. And I was looking up something on YouTube, there, a piece of music that one of them was using. And then it like led me down this rabbit hole of dark academia. <laughs> and, and I was like, what is this? And then I like fell down these like articles about this TikTok aesthetic about being a dark academic. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, a person who like is overly caffeinated uh-huh. and like doesn't sleep <laughs> okay. and romanticizes like writing and reading and all of this. And I was like, oh no, that's me. Oh, no. <laughs> Someone who has spent like far too many years in school and just can't leave. That's me. I'm a well-written anime character. Yes, I I am. uh, Hashtag dark academia. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's true. I'm overly caffeinated. I don't get enough sleep. I read far too many books, but that's not a problem. I feel like I'm just like uh, the same routine I had as a grad student has never changed for me. I see. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you just got a little shout out in the New York Times. Congratulations. So cool. Totally did not know that was happening. Completely unexpected. Stage West was like, hey, read this article. And I was like, oh, that's oh, okay. me. Oh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my choreography in the New York Times. Because um, some days I still feel like just like some, like I sometimes forget that I'm not the like, 21 year old like scrappy hungry yeah, artist yeah that I've been doing this now for over a decade mm-hmm. of work because it doesn't feel like that because a lot of the times it's fun yeah so the years fly by and you don't realize how long you've been working on one in one pathway and then every so often you're reminded by the New York Times that you've done something you're like that's me I have and I'm really proud of the work that I've done and I should remember yeah that that's good well tell us more about this production with Undermain coming up what is it about and what can audiences expect so the show is called Things Missing Missed and it is a play that Justin my uh partner and two artists in Houston developed in 2015 And so they wrote the piece actually in my living room here where I'm sitting five years ago. Wow. Five years ago. And I was the like movement consultant on the show and we premiered it in Houston at the Obsidian Theater in 2015. Back then it was a two person show. And it was truly this work of experimental avant-garde theater really playing with 
with those ideas of absurdity and lifted timelines and just unanswered questions, it's inspired by the playwright's personal experiences. So Justin's Melissa Flower and Philip Hayes. It's it's their their stories of, of their life at that time. And it's also inspired by T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And also the true story of a hermit who lived in the woods of northern Maine for 35 years. I want to say it's like 30 to 35 years. Um, his name is Christopher Knight. Christopher Knight was a real person who was a hermit yes. for 35 years. Yes. Wow. He's known as the North Pond Hermit. 27 years. He lived without human contact for 27 years. And he, his story is so interesting. There's a book called A uh, Stranger in the Woods about his experience. And it's like after Chernobyl, he just didn't understand what the world was like anymore. So he just left it. And he lived off of the woods and stealing from people's homes. Oh, wow. The area that he was living in was kind of like a vacation spot. And so he would break into people's homes when they weren't there. Like when it was the off season, he would just take what he needed to survive. As technology improved and people got uh, home security cameras, they started to figure, because at first they were like, where are things going? Like nobody comes here. This is a remote area. It's not populated until the summer. Like this doesn't make any sense. So it was like this whole mystery around where all of their things were going. Yeah. And then, you know. And then probably, like, I've done this before where I'm like, (laughs) this is such a dumb analogy, but like, I went to Nordstrom Rack yesterday and I know I got those jeans. I know I tried those jeans on. Where are they? They're not in the dryer. They're not in the laundry. And then it turns out I never bought them. Like I had tried them on and then put them back for whatever reason. And then I'm like, what is my reality? (laughs) I was so like, like tearing through our house. Like where are those jeans? (laughs) And that's totally what happens also in this play. The characters are like, I, where are my socks? Where are my pants? Like, I know that I folded them and I put them over here, but now I can't find a single thing. So that feeling of like that tangible memory of knowing that you've did this. I know that I put my car keys here by the door where I always put them, but where are they? And now I can no longer trust my memory because am I thinking of the past, the far, far past or the recent past? Or do I even have a car anymore? Did I let somebody borrow it? So those like gaps in your memory, that is part of things missing missed and wondering, am I causing myself these lapses or is someone else or something else affecting my memory? So that's like where the play kind of started in 2015. And then Justin and I brought it to Dallas in 2017 and for a residency at the downtown public library. And we did a year long residency kind of centered on the play. And so we did like workshops with children um, and the community. Also in the, the play uses a lot of like found objects and puppets. And so we would work on just kind of expanding like community outreach and education 
there with, at the library with puppetry and uh, movement scores and how to like integrate objects into your work. And it went great. We had a great time, pretty well received public showing. And then as the pandemic hit and things were changing this year, under Maine, uh, I was supposed to do a show in June, which then became our feature film. And then I was supposed to also work on another show for 2021 that we ended up moving to a later season. And we were trying to figure out how to fill in that gap. And I was like, well, I have this play that I can do that deals with isolation and a not understanding of time anymore. And they were like, okay, cool. Let's do it. So then. Oh, great. How long have you been with Undermain? As associate artistic director, a year, a little over a year. But I have been working at the theater since 2017 as the choreographer. Gotcha. So you gave us a little bit, but for this show specifically, and maybe other creators listening could benefit from this. What do you in-person rehearsals for a virtual show look like as far as safety protocols go? Because I know you, like, you always have safety in mind with, like, emotional and physical safety, but this is, like, a new level. Yeah, health safety. Yeah. Yeah, so in-person rehearsals uh, are a little strange. They're different. There are slightly staggered call times to arrive so that not everyone is coming into the door at the same time. There are temperature checks before you walk into the space. So everybody has to have their temperature taken. They respond either to a online health and safety screener, which is like a contact tracing survey, Mm -hmm. or they answer the questions in person. If their temperature is a certain level, they are not allowed to come. If they have a headache or a cough, we ask them to stay home and monitor, like self-monitor or go and get a rapid test. If they know that they've had contact with somebody with COVID, there's, uh, you cannot come and you have to self-quarantine and rapid test, or you have to stay away for 10 to 14 days until you don't show symptoms. When you're in rehearsal, it's fully masked the whole time. We have lots of PPE just kind of because we have our own um, rehearsal uh, studio. There's just masks and hand sanitizer everywhere in the bathrooms, in the common spaces. We take more breaks now than we did in the past, but like for fresh air, it can be very difficult sometimes in in a mask. Yeah, especially when you're adding movement on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone we're working with in this cast specifically, like we are all also dancers or movers. So it's like become accustomed to having a sweaty thing across our face and, and how to breathe in that. But when I'm working with other people, it's like, Hey, if you need to take a break, take a break. Like just say, I need five minutes and go very far away and breathe. And I always encourage people like bring extra masks because you will go through them and, and you don't want to be in a sweaty mask for hours. But other than that, it's, it's also the same, you know, you just have a mask on and you wash and sanitize your hands constantly. I mean, the big difference is it's like, we can't touch 
So some of the like, I mean, we're, we're, we're six feet apart when we are even just reading a script or more than six feet apart. And the other thing I should say is that we also do weekly testing. So the cast and crew all have to have a weekly COVID test and we work with a COVID compliance officer who has set up a schedule for us and tells us when we have to go get our test, how long our test lasts, when we're in our like red zone of, of our test not being accurate anymore. And if we don't get our results by this day, then we can't come back to rehearsal until our results come in. So you just have to be more organized. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Mask stamina is definitely a thing because I got a new job after I got laid off in March. I got a new job in September. And I mean, I'm in my mask eight hours a day, 10 if I do overtime. So I'm very used to it. And now if my mom is at the store for too long, she's like, oh my God, because she's been able to work from home. And I'm like, oh, hush, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. People don't know. Like, yeah. If you, if you haven't returned yeah. to work, yeah, to a, a place of business where you have to be there for long hours, yeah, it, it's very difficult. Like at school, like I'm in a mask all the time. But yeah, I see people too, like just, they're just, uh, I went to a store the other day and I, a woman was walking from the parking lot in and I just stood there staring and she was like, what? I just looked at her because I didn't know what to say. And she was like, oh my God, my mask. I forgot. I'm not used to it. And I was like, it's okay. I just wasn't going to go in with you. I was just going to wait <laughs> until. Yeah. And like, I'm very conscious of it now too. Like I look around corners and if I see somebody like wearing it, and their very interesting way of wearing it. Yeah. I just sort of like go the opposite. Yeah. yeah, it's it's strange. But I get it. Like people aren't, they're still not used to it because some people haven't really had to get used to it. You mentioned you have a COVID compliance officer. How has that, how's that been? Is it super helpful to have? Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely helpful. And it's somebody who's worked with us for years and she got the training on, on her own for other like reasons, but it has now been very beneficial for us because she's able to bring that in and say, Hey, based on all the training that I've gotten and the work that I do outside of TGDG, these are the things that we need to be doing to be successful. And I think that's also the reason why we've been able to continue working is because we have a COVID compliance officer who is a part of our group and she is committed to the work that we do and, and wants to see that happen. So she makes that happen for us. Yeah. And then that's good that you don't have the director with one opinion and the stage manager with another. It's like, no, bottom line, we go off of what this officer yeah. says. And what she says, we do. And it all makes sense like to all of us. None of us are like, oh my God, please don't make me do that. It's like, well, of course, that's what I'll do. Cool. Are you guys having a lot of communication with each other too about, hey, I went to a patio restaurant over the weekend. I just want to be upfront about that. Or is it, what's that oh, like? No, we uh, constantly are telling each other what we're doing. Like for Things Missing Missed, it's a small cast. There are four people. Uh, three of them live together. They're roommates. One of them is Justin. The five of us, myself included, with Justin and three other actors, we've been in a pod since March. 
Okay. So there's a lot of like cohabitation already. Yeah. 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 Okay. Basically the whole cast and crew has been together since March. Like my TD and I work together at school Mm -hmm. plus DGDG in that regard. Like that's why we've, I think had a different situation than other people is that we live in a bubble, even the Bibby Bobby cast, even though it was a larger cast um, and we all have separate lives most of them were in savage so they were already accustomed to what was going to happen and they all just did it but like for things missing this where it's very interesting because we are the f- six people who are the only people we've really seen yeah. for however many months <laughs> it's been now that's awesome i'm sure you guys never fight or have any disagreements oh no <laughs> uh we joke cause it's like i'm the grandma <laughs> Of the crew. And I was like, these are my children. These are my grandchildren. Okay. Uh, But it's great. Like the, the three of the actors, they live in the front house of our studio. So it's like, they're also like in the backyard all the time. So it's very much that like, we joke around. It's like, we have time traveled and it's like the 60s or 70s. And we live in our own little special commune. Yeah, like a yurt. Yeah, there's like five of us (laughs) and this like one random community in the middle of East Dallas that um, I'm sure looks weird to some people, but it's okay. Well, the show sounds really interesting. I'm super excited for it. Can you tell us where we can get tickets and any more information we need to know about how we watch the show? Yeah, so tickets are on sale through Undermain. Uh, It will be streaming January 13th through. January 31st on Vimeo. When you buy your ticket from Undermain, you'll get a like link and, and password to the show and you'll have a certain amount of hours to watch it. So it's not like you only have one day. Uh, I think it's like a 48 to 72 hour period once you purchase your ticket to watch the video. So that's kind of nice and you don't have to just watch it immediately. Yeah, you can acquire your popcorn or charcuterie board and whatever. Um, It's just an hour-long piece. This iteration of it, I've described as sort of a gothic, romantic novel come to life. There are puppets, many, many puppets, bizarre moments of magic, Really cool music. We're working with uh, a local composer and musician named Black Taffy. So ba- he's based in Oak Cliff, but he's like awesome. Like, That's so cool. NPR favorite. Yeah, and he's uh, a frequent collaborator. We've been working together now for oh my god, six years. <laughs> I love Donovan like with all my heart. I just ha- did not know it's been six years that we've been working together Ooh. now. <laughs> So he'll be creating an original score for the theatrical film. So, and, and for us, like people are like, it's a play. And I'm like, it's not a play. It's a play, but it's, um, it's a film. We're really trying super hard to push what the camera can do. Cause I want it to feel like while you're watching it, you're actually like living in the house with them, with these characters. So it's, it's less like, here's my presentation of my play, but it's going to be more like, here's you in my play. Yeah, like theater. So you don't lose that communal energy that you get when you're sitting in the theater with 
the performers. Yeah, that's cool. So we're, we're, we're working really hard to make that happen. Oh, this is awesome, Danielle. Thank you so much. You have load in today, yeah? Yeah, it's our first day in the space. Ah. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, I will let you head out to that. I really appreciate your time. This was, this was great. I'm really excited about the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. And like, give your kitties some love for me. They're so cute. <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay. Have okay. a good day. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that was Danielle. I'm really excited about this production of Things Missing Missed. If you want tickets to see the show, go to undermain.org slash virtual undermain. It's running in January and... We will be back in two weeks with our last episode of 2020. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye.